Edition of Ribbon of Memes. This well, is first episode... anniversary edition, I hope. Oh, oh, obviously, yes, of course. <laughs> um, I mean, there, there I might was... be another one one day. You never know. You never know. We'll have to wait a year and I, see. I, I have to decide whether to renew the domain name. You know. <laughs> um, well, we're rolling in it now after um, all our donations, so we'll be fine. Um, I am Nick, and I am joined uh, for our birthday episode by the redoubtable Roger. Hello. And yes, and episode one went up on the 26th of June, and this should in theory be released almost a year later. Almost. It's not, it's, it, it doesn't quite work, does it? Oh, the, calendars. <laughs> flipping Mayans. Um, but, uh, I, th- well, we thought it'd be a good idea to have a sort of a retrospective episode. Um, we're not quite, um, devolved to the level of a clip show, but we thought we'd, <laughs> we'd talk about... That, that, that would uh, require actual editing effort rather than just well, yeah, for a bit. That would be more effort. <laughs> um, we thought it'd be interesting to talk about uh, why we started the podcast, because we, we talked about it right at the start, but it might be a good sort of jumping on point. Um, I, I think the way we're feeling about it now may well have shifted. Yeah, process, how our so. feelings have changed about the podcast, and just um, a, a sort of review of all the films we've watched so far without doing the film in the list we'll ask ourselves some questions about favorite scenes and biggest surprises um and that sort of thing um see see what comes up really we've Hmm. we've had a we've had a think of them ourselves we haven't revealed the answers to each other so there's a there's a tiny amount of exciting tension there but should we start (laughs) with a statement of of kind of where we see well why we started Ribbon of Memes and yeah, where b- it is Yeah, because, now. I mean, th- this this was your um, personal project before we turned it into a podcast, so... It was. I had decided... Um, I've always been uh, a very um, lazy cinema nut in that I've always liked cinema. I've never been particularly good at watching a lot of the masterpieces. I- I've certainly seen mm. a few when they were on. And I was aware there are a lot of cinematic films considered, you know, just absolute masterpieces of their art um, and I, I felt like I should watch more of them, being more of a uh, science fiction nerd, I tended to gravitate to those sort of films growing up in the 80s um, and so I started watching one film a year from the very earliest days of cinema hmm. um, uh, from the beginning with, I think the first film I watched was um, oh, it wasn't Metropolis it was before that, it was um it was it's four Melios, uh, perhaps after that, uh, but it was one of the. It's got four different. Um, it's a flipping long film, uh, and I can barely remember it now. So it's well worth the effort. Watching I, I, it. I'm um, just w- w- waiting for somebody to do a dissertation on you know theme and symbol on the train coming into Montparnasse station. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have seen that, but it was a quick watch. Uh, to be fair, um, so. I started watching them down through the years and actively trying to avoid films I had watched already um, and trying to pick ones that were sort of new to me. Um, Mm. And around about the uh, early 70s, we got to talking about what I was doing um, and uh, you decided you'd be quite interested in doing that too. 
Yeah, uh, because it, I, I've similarly, I, I'm sort of vaguely aware that the film is out there and I've heard of this or that great film, but I haven't actually seen a whole lot of them. And yes. I, I think I've had relatively similar taste to yours. Yes, I think that's fair enough. So we thought we'd give it a try. Um, rather than start right back at the beginning, we jumped randomly in at where I happened to be in my watch through, which was 1973. And then we initially started, um, at first we were going to watch a film and then flick back to whatever film it sort of made us think of or one that would be an interesting reflection on. And over the episodes, that's morphed into basically we've had a sort of on year and an off year for the, <laughs> uh, uh, or an on episode and an off episode for the year in the sense we've tried to watch one sort of, I suppose I'd say arty acclaimed film and then one Perhaps film. Perhaps one might say a serious film. A serious film and then for our off episode, one that we actually wanted to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, which yeah, is. I mean, uh, so, some of these are our self indulgences. Some of them are, yes. yeah, yeah, let's just try it and see. Some, some you insisted on. Uh, <laughs> I think I know where that's going. Um, I, one of the the bibles for the book has been um, David Thompson's "Have You Seen," which is a, a sort of a thousand page book of just uh, not quite reviews, not quite descriptions, but short, thoughtful essays on many different films. Um, and I got it for Christmas some time ago, and. It's uh, part of the reason I've gone for it is organised year by year, which makes mm. it quite useful. And he, he tends to go for films which are interesting, at least. So that's been one of our bibles, but not exclusively. We have just and uh, because it does up. end in two thousand and seven because the book came out in two thousand and eight. So we, we're going to yes. be entirely without a guide. Well, we have been a bit free and easier recently, I think, and we were talking sort of off air that we've probably slightly slipped away from the more serious arty films into more genre films or films that we watched growing up. But that's partly maybe the period we were covering, I think, recently. Yeah, well, I think there's been a, a slide gradually in what people regard as serious films. I mean, when when we're starting in the 70s, Yes. The stuff that was the Oscar winners and the Oscar nominees tended to be, you know, the serious stuff as opposed to the, to the cheapy, um, make lots of money stuff. Yes, that's true. But, but uh, as we've seen the development of it, it can make lots of money and still get critical acclaim as well. Um, I, th- I think there's, yeah, the, the two the, have sort of coincided. Yeah. yeah there, there, there's some, some subgenres are joining and some are splitting apart and, uh, possibly we've been a bit lax on that. I, I think we, we've got up to about 99, 2000. Yes. And I think by this point, the big dumb blockbuster film, I mean, you, you could argue it started with something like Jaws. Um, yes. But, I would, certainly, that was... but certainly by the time you get to Armageddon, big dumb blockbuster film is its own genre. Yes, I, George was one of the death knells of the the new wave. So we, we leapt in right in the middle of the American new wave when uh, it was an interesting period in cinema where they were breaking away from the the Hayes Code. Um, sorry, I know you hate we call it motion picture production code. Experimenting <laughs> with um, new narrative forms, and they didn't have to follow the same sort of narrative. And you often had anti heroes, and it was it was an interesting time. Um, I can't say they were my favourite films, um, but we'll maybe we'll talk about the the sort of trends later on. Mm. So I was look, I was totting up how many films we've watched for Ribbon of Memes. It's more than 
51, because we did a few multiple film episodes. We're slightly disparate in our watchings, because I missed a few, particularly of the Noirathon. But I have watched 61 films for Ribbon of Memes, um, which is a reasonable number in a year. Yeah, and and I I made it 64 uh, for me, of which I had seen 26 before, so that's uh, about two in five. Yeah, that's a better average than me. I'm, I'm the opposite, where I'm, I have seen 37 of those films previously. Um, so I have, I feel like I've slipped back into my comfort zone a bit. I'm, I'm, uh, more three in five that I've seen. Um, and I, I feel that's one of the, if we have a new ribbon of means resolution, I'd probably like to watch more films that I haven't seen before. Hmm. I, I think we've gone into a, a, through a bit of a rough spot in the nineties when certainly we, we were finding it hard to get some titles we felt enthusiasm for. Um, we did, definitely struggled the early to mid nineties. Um, by the late nineties, it was it was coming back round again. But oh, goodness me! I yes. mean, I, I don't want to say let's not have crowd pleasers, let's not have films we love. There is at least one film that uh, I'm very much a fan of in the face of practically everybody else. Uh, which, which may be coming up in a few years and we'll see how we do on that. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I think go, going more towards what you might call generally accepted as masterpieces a bit more. Yes. I, so that was the brief really. These films were at least, uh, I, I, maybe we've been a bit loose on that because you can always find someone who thinks a film is a masterpiece. Really. <laughs> um, though, though strangely, often not the director. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, ones that we think, whether it was, whether it's critics or whether it's, uh, non-critical uh, people who we admire or whether it's just, um, just generally thought of as a masterpiece. Um, I, I think, yeah, I agree. We've maybe slipped from that brief a little bit. Um, and we'll, we'll try and, well, you know, as, much, as long as we're enjoying it, steer back towards yeah. that. I don't think that we need a huge course correction. But the, uh, the yes. other thing that on that angle that I was thinking would be easy and has turned out to be quite difficult is um, what I might call foundational films or influential films or widely copied films. Mm. And we, you know, apart from the really obvious ones like Aliens, yeah, uh, I don't think we've picked up on that, and they're probably you know. People who are film fans listening to this and saying, "No, no, you did that," and everybody imitated that, and we yes. we maybe just don't know that. So that, well, that that's something a, I'm, I'm going to try to try find out a bit more. And you know, what did people think of this in the filmmaking community, and did did they what what got taken from it? Yes. Now, whether that's function of a starting, I mean, it should be clear uh, this stage in the podcast, uh, if not uh, by any other podcast, right, that we are not film experts or critics, right? <laughs> We're just um, uh, guys who watch films, um, and so consequently, yes, we'll often miss a lot of the probably uh, artistic point, perhaps, or at least. But I, I like that we have our own spin on it and our own thoughts on it. Well, um, arguably, no, that's an interesting thing. I mean, when it was. Um... In the early days, film was definitely described as uh, the the accessible medium, the medium of the people. You didn't have to, you know, read a long bar- a book. You you could just yeah. read the closed caption, or later you could listen to the soundtrack, and you, you know you you could get the story even in the silent era, um, without needing all the literary illusions and stuff. Yeah, and. I suspect that the critics' darlings are not the films that do that. They, and they, they yeah, are starting to be the ones bit... where you, you need to say, 
okay, this, this is a deliberate, um, talking about this other film and therefore it mean it, it has that extra shade of meaning beyond what you actually see on the screen that kind of thing it's a tricky thing i suppose because to be a critic you have to watch a lot of films and i i think ultimately watching a lot of films does as we may talk about here as well it does eventually change what you want to watch because after a while you've seen all the very common things in the commentary <laughs> and you want to see something a bit different and that necessarily makes you have slightly different taste from the more casual film goer um yeah well so, since i um stopped going to cinemas in, with any sort of regularity mostly because of uh, issues with the way where sound is treated uh, um yes. i've been yeah because i w- i would in the old days see trailers just naturally before films uh, since then, I've I've taken to uh, haunting a couple of YouTube channels where trailers get posted, and you know, yes. w- once a month or so, I, I do a quick summary of them on my blog. And the thing I'm really <laughs> finding myself say- saying repeatedly on that, to the point to the point that I'm looking for new ways to say it, is the job of the trailer is to say this is a let us say romantic comedy, and it's just like <laughs> all those other romantic comedies. You know, romantic comedies. You like romantic comedies. You should come and see this. And what yes. I, what I want to see is tell me why this is not like every other romantic comedy, <laughs> including the ones I already have on my shelf. Yes, that's a very good point. Um, it'd be interesting to watch the trailers of the film we've watched and see how they change through. The... I'm not not proposing we do that, but it may well, be. There, <laughs> there are a lot of them out there. I'll, I'll see what I can find. Um, a lot of these things have got got stuck on YouTube, so it's mm. not not as hard as it might be. Uh. But yes, that that's an interesting point that our our, our tastes have changed, and I, you just feel. I suppose that's why I want a masterpiece, because I I do. I suppose more than anything, I get irritated by a, a film that's bad, but not bad enough to be good. Uh, it's just <laughs> a bland film, that I, and, and that's fair enough with everyone, really. I mean, otherwise they wouldn't be called bad films. But what quite what constitutes that does change the number of films you watch. Um, hmm. Shall we launch into our sort of uh, questions about films? Because we we gave ourselves a little list, and we thought we'd uh, we'd answer them individually and see how they stacked up. Hmm. So, uh, I mean, the the obvious favourite and least favourite film uh, is where we're going to start. But we we did decide that really the, we have to subdivide this because there are the films that we had seen before. Yes. One or the other or both of us and the ones we hadn't and and that those are really separate categories. I, I wonder if we should do this Oscar style and go in reverse order to lead up to the favourite film. <laughs> do you think that would work or is that is that um, too much artificial tension? I don't think it really <laughs> <laughs> Okay. We'll go we'll go with the original plan. It's I mean we'll let, let, let's do the ones we'd like least first, because Yeah. Apart from right. anything else, I, I know how easy yeah, I, I Presumably people listening to this are aware that I also review films on my blog and yes. do a lot of book reviews and so on. And I know how easy it is to, to kick something. And it, it, it feels cheap. And let, let's concentrate on the positive. So, so do the kicking first. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So this is now we're talking about the film we least liked that we'd already known about. Hmm. Um, and I, I found this a harder category because, frankly, the films that we already knew about, we uh, if we didn't like them very much, we probably wouldn't have, have pushed them forward. Yeah. By already known about, we mean already watched. Um, but yes, do you want to tell me your least liked film that you'd already seen in Ribbon of Memes? Yeah, that turned out to be Dagon, which oh, I really enjoyed when I first saw it, you know, two or three years, I think, after it had come out. Mm. Um 
and I, I don't know. I, I'm not a horror watcher in general. I've, I've probably mm. seen a lot more since, and and perhaps got a bit more familiar with the vocabulary. But I was much more thrown this time by the sudden shift to okay, we're going to be gory now. Yeah, I, I must. I remember texting you sort of quite excitedly halfway through the film, saying, "This is brilliant." I love because it. it was the shadow over Innsmouth, effectively. Mm. But then it turns into pretty gratuitous. Um, uh, filleting of someone's head and then really quite exploitative, um, uh, mm. rape, I suppose. And it just got, became uncomfortable to me in a way that I just, I didn't enjoy watching the end of it. So I thought, I, I see exactly what you mean. Uh, so what was yours of, of the ones we'd already seen? Well, Dagan couldn't count for me because I hadn't seen it before. Um, but so mine of the ones I'd already seen, the one I least enjoyed watching was, um, I think it was the English patient, honestly. It mm-hmm. just, um, uh, I, I was not terrible. Um, I just, <laughs> uh, um, it's got it's some great performances cliche. in it. It has, and it's very pretty. <laughs> I just didn't care. Um, ultimately I didn't care about the two main leads. Um, I found them a bit bland and foolish and forgettable in ways that other love stories have really touched me. Particularly, I always go back to The Terminator as the love story that always works for me, but there's many mm. others in this list that did. Um, this one didn't. Um, and I, yeah, I was, uh, I'd seen it before and, and vaguely vaguely thought oh that was all right um but now i just found it having seen it before it didn't seem to give much new to me i enjoyed the framing device as we said at the time mm. in the episode uh more um uh with juliet binoche and uh, is it naveen andrews yeah um uh, but uh yeah i i i, I just I, I was looking over all the films i knew uh and this was the one i didn't didn't enjoy um mm. frankly though you know to go dagon uh I didn't enjoy more, but I couldn't have it in this category. Yeah, I yeah, see sure. It. Well, yes, I mean, we're not going to necessarily agree on this, even, no. even with the uh, ones where we can. Um, on the on the more positive side, I, I have been very much reminded of how much I love the Maltese Falcon, which is not a reasonable love, oh, but good choice. And I, th- I think if if I have to pick a number one, that is probably my number one. But then I think Das Boat and Alien and Aliens yeah. and, and, and Heathers. And, yeah. Well, this was the one I found very difficult too. That yeah, we and all of the ones you mentioned, particularly Heathers. Um, I haven't quite managed to fit that into any other category. I'd like an honourable <laughs> mention of Heathers because it's just of all of them, it's just the managed to pull off the most dark. <laughs> misanthropic, yeah, misanthropic kind of view of the world, um, in a kind of bright comic book sort of way. It's, it's so well done. Mm. Um, the one that said off this list that I would happily watch again and again and again, um, would be The Man Who Would Be King. I just adore it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the camaraderie between Sean Connery and Michael Caine. Um, I'm surprised, you know, on this list we have Jaws, we have, um, The Big Lebowski, we have Goodfellas, all of which I adore. But if, if I had to Desert Island Discuit, it would be The Man Who Would Be King for me. Yeah, that, that always strikes me as, as a bit difficult because, yeah, you know, the the film that is your favourite film it may not be the film you want to be the only film you watch for six months. <laughs> well, I suppose growing up, you know, Star Wars was my favourite to the point where I just cannot watch um, A New Hope now because it just, mm. I don't know, it's just so ingrained in my brain. It's it's like not watching it at all. Um, and I, I derive no enjoyment from it, which is a sad thing. I can't imagine 
ever not enjoying um, Sean Connery saying, you have my permission to bugger off. <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. There, that's, uh, that's, some, uh, that's my favourite of all the ones we knew. So of the ones that were new to us, um, yes. least favourite, I think you, probably, you can probably guess, uh, was, was Stand By Me. Yes, fair enough. Oh dear. I mean, I, I can see what he's doing, but it's not a thing I'm interested in having done. So. No, you don't, you never enjoyed the, the, you didn't enjoy the children's banter or, and you're not, are you not a fan of coming of age generally? I don't think that's true because we've enjoyed um, some others. I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm very bored by, uh, boys coming of age, particularly simply because it's been done so very many times. <laughs> yes, um, fair enough. However, uh, that that said, um, that that particular style of banter, that whole we have no idea what we're talking about, but we're going to defend it really firmly. Yeah, reminds me so much of the sort of rubbish that I grew up with and tried to get out of. <laughs> I see. Yeah, so it's a bit of an uncomfortable. All right, could it be? Oh, perhaps I'm being too generous. To say maybe it was too well observed, but that that, that might be a bit. Kind. I I like. I mean, it. I'm not going to claim it was unrealistic. It just no, wasn't something I wanted to be in. You didn't want to spend any time. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. That's fair enough. Uh, my least one. I I I tossed up a few here. Raging Bull was in there because um, I, I we mm. did. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that later. But I just found it a very. Uh, I think you described it perfectly as toxic masculinity, the movie. It's just, it's very well done. It's just a bit for you, like Stand With Me. It just wasn't Stand By Me. I just, I don't want to spend any time with this person. I, mm. I just, I, I didn't like it. But the one I think I resented and disliked more than any was the long goodbye um, of the new ones. Mm. I just found it very tedious, that flipping song, it's the long goodbye, <laughs> just has stuck with me ever since. It's really peed me off. <laughs> and I just, I, I think the disparity between the Maltese Falcon, which I love, um, yeah. and the long goodbye, which just is not... I, I didn't like the central character. I didn't quite know what they were trying to do. I found the story... oh. Tedious, mm. and I just, just, I, I think that's the one that I just uh, uh, resented watching more. At least Raging Ball, I felt well, you know, it's artistic. Maybe it's trying to say something important. I don't know what the longer boy was trying to say, but they can piss off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the most positive discovery side, um, I should say I was inspired to this because a few years ago, um, a friend of mine decided he wanted to get uh, literate in science fiction on a similar sort of basis, and his basis for picking um, books that might be masterpieces was novels that had won both the Hugo and Nebula Award. Uh, right, yes. Uh, and that and, was... And you tried that too, did you? Yeah, I, I, I read along with that. Uh, so that was 28 books uh, at the time, um, 16 of them new to me, and there was really only one that I actually liked a lot that I hadn't <laughs> read before, so... So that put it okay. I, I had a similar experience reading the hundred. I, I think I found a list of the hundred greatest science fiction novels, and I thought, well, I should ground myself in this. And I, I trudged through a lot of stuff that I just didn't enjoy. And maybe that was because they've been so influential that, mm. that their their echoes had, had come down. But I don't know. And, like, and the, the style what, of what's considered a great SF novel has changed quite a bit as well. So. Yes, yeah. But I, the, well, I liked I think nineteen eighty four and Flowers for Algernon, The Forever War. And that was about it. <laughs> and that was about 20 books in, so I gave up. Yeah. 
but but in terms of the film, this, this is I'm I've, I'm just going to have three here and right. say the, these Fair are enough. all my my favourite new discoveries. Uh, the man who would be king. Hey, I don't expect filmed Kipling to work, but it works. Tell us his name. You don't have to tell me. Uh, Jaws, which yes, I have I had not seen before, but I'm I've. Yes, I can see the levers moving in in terms of the plot and characterization and stuff, but I really like the way it is done. Okay, okay. Uh, and the lo- last one of these, though, I mean, I've, I've liked quite a lot of them. Um, was was Fargo? Hey, that's amazing. Sorry, not that I, <laughs> I'm very pleased. After my utter failure at Stand by Me, I'm pleased that um, uh, they were all they were all good ones. Okay, yes, Fargo. What did you like about Fargo particularly? There, um. In context, I think it's the way it, it takes the whole violent criminals do violent crime and it doesn't go well for them thing <laughs> yes. and doesn't frame them as glamorous. Yes. And so, yeah, this, this is how it interacts with actual people rather yeah. than cool guys. <laughs> yeah, I think the big difference in Fargo is we have the Marge Gunderson figure as the counterpoint, as as genuinely wholesome, nice person, mm. and not flashy in that way, just um and she's a great counterpoint to what terrible people they are. And William H. Macy's performance is he's just every no perfect and mm-hmm. slimy business. He's not even slimy really, he's just kind of pathetic. It's great. Yeah. Okay. Um my most liked discovery I mean a lot of these I had seen already uh, but going down the list the one i think that ultimately i enjoyed uh well more more than any of the others for a discovery because i don't know i'm giving it such a preamble it's thelma and louise um mm-hmm. i really enjoyed it it's, it's so nice to see we we had been sort of in a dearth of and continue to be in a dearth of sort of decent female characters and protagonists and and this one just uh, knocked it out of the park, really, in female characterization, in editing, in action, in story. It didn't necessarily make the men complete monsters. It just made them normal men, which is, I mean, you might argue is enough <laughs> to make them complete monsters. Well, but that, that, that's kind of the point, that they are just doing the things they do, and the effects are. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, I, I can't list everything. That would certainly have been high on my list. Yes. Yeah, it was a, it was a lovely. Uh, I, it was almost my best surprise, except I was kind of expecting it to be good, and it it, uh, it lived up to it. But yeah, mm. that was that's the favourite of the new films I've seen. Uh, now, what do we? Our next one we have is a slightly different category. Not what I expected. So this is. Um, uh, so I've taken this to be. I had an idea in my mind of what this was going to be, and it just turned out to be. Uh, very different, not necessarily better or worse, but just took a different direction mm. to, to the so way I was expecting the, it to go. The general idea of what this film is like, as gathered by us from other people, yes, that was not at all. Yeah, uh, yeah. So for me, that was Paris, Texas. Oh, interesting. Yes, I thought about that for this category, but I didn't quite do that. Which you know, on the advertising level, is ooh, Natasha Kinski is sexy, and on another level is ooh great great long arty shots. Yeah. And it doesn't doesn't really stick with either of those things. 
No, it's hard to quite say. Well, I suppose it's it's really about this this central character who's lost his memory, and then the terrible thing that happened to him or that he did to put him there. Mm. Um, yeah, it wasn't what I expected at all. That's very very uh, good choice for this category. Um, I picked um, Point Blank because um, mm. I thought it was going to be. I, I mean, I had in my head this was going to be the inspiration for Reservoir Dogs, and it was going to be very similar. Um, once you got through the opening kind of uh, concussed sort of fever dream part of it, it to me became a relatively standard revenge drama. Mm. Um, which I wasn't, I, it wasn't necessarily a nice surprise. Um, I wasn't really expecting it, uh, to go that way. Uh, I mean, I liked it well enough, but I, I thought it was going to be more Tarantino-esque, um, and more, um, oh, there's a foreign, there's a French language film about, um, a crime that goes wrong, um, uh, that begins with Arthur. I can't remember the name. Rufifi? <laughs> Yes, Rafifi. I thought it would be that sort of thing. Um, it wasn't really. Um, and I, I've sort of since watched some interviews with Tarantino where he says exactly the same thing, really, once you get through the opening. It's, it's sort of a fairly... So, so basically he lied to us when he said that this was a big influence. <laughs> yes, <laughs> or Borman did, so. or, or something. <laughs> the other one I had bubbling under there was Cinema Paradiso, um, mm. in that I'm not sure quite what I expected, but it... Uh... I thought maybe something cleverer and less superficial <laughs> than it was. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that is my prejudice, isn't it? You kind of think, oh, foreign language film is going to be much cleverer. But it, it was actually Foreign quite... language film, that wins best foreign language film. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah, to be fair, yes. I, I thought it would have a more um, intricate structure or be a less um, uh, uh, cliched story. I think so. Uh, yeah, I, I I had less expectation because I I basically knew nothing about it going in. So uh, yes, well that's fair enough, and I I suppose I was a bit like that with um uh, with Cinema Paradiso, but uh, but I, it's something I'd wanted to watch for a little while, and I wasn't quite expecting it. Mm. Okay, and um, we may have already answered our next question on the list, which is the most differing opinions between us. Um, I'm going to venture mm. that stand by me because I. Still I, th- love I think it. so. Yeah. Um, but perhaps more interesting going going the other way around. Uh, I think the one I liked more than you most may have been Dance with a Stranger. Oh yeah, yeah. That's probably I, true. Yes. Yes, there's a lot of gross and so on, but it, it, particularly in retrospect, it, it it works for me as a portrayal of the grot. Yes. I, I, uh, I will. I will still admit its faults, as we discussed in the episode. No, I think that's fair. I, I didn't. Uh, I just didn't enjoy it. And, and my memory of Dance with the Stranger, and we'll come on to it a bit later, actually, is uh, it, it kind of stops right when I'm getting interested in the plot. Um, <laughs> whereas you, you were more interested in the character and the sort of the development to getting to that plot. I, it, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure it succeeds in showing how she gets there, but that's what yeah. it's trying to do. Yeah. I, I will fully acknowledge that's a terrific central performance by Miranda Richardson, though. One of our best performances. Mm. Uh, which we'll come back to. Uh, so, favourite individual scene. I mean, I've, I've committed myself up front here. Uh, that, that traffic stop in Fargo that, that ends with yeah. uh, three people. Is it four people dead? <laughs> a number of people. Yes. Just that the, uh, that is a great scene. That, as you say, cinema 
cinematography wise or cinema uh, the lighting is amazing uh, i think you pointed out particularly the way the the uh, the rearview mirror reflects onto their eyes because the cops the cops lights are shining right into the yeah and and it's it's not just that they did that it's that um they they set up the lighting obviously you need a lot more lights on the set Yes, but they they still went to the trouble of having something which must have been tremendously powerful, so that you yeah. would get that light bar as well. Yeah, it does. It's distinctive, and that scene, I think, is the Coens at their best in that it shows how deftly they can handle a comedic scene. You know, it's complete failure to bribe the cop, and it's just, uh, um, and you see how badly it's going to pure kind of Tarantino esque horror and violence. Um, Without or jarring in a way that is satisfactory, I'm, I'm not sure mm. I'm putting that. I mean, there, right. there is a, there is a dissonance, but it's yeah. it's not a distance that throws you out of it. No, it it's, it it sort of adds to the appeal somehow, and, and the Coens seem to be very very good at that in in ways that other directors fail a bit with it. Yes, I love that, and, and Peter Stamar's, uh, um uh, just very decisive action <laughs> in the face of Steve uh, Buscemi's, um well, blabbermouth, but largely inept performance. So, yeah, I, I will agree mm. that that's a great scene. Though, you know, I, I will also put put up for um, Harry Dean Stanton walking across the desert. Yes, yes, very nice. <laughs> any, any, any scene of Paris, Texas in which he is doing that, I love. So <laughs> that has, yeah, that certainly stayed with me. That those images for me. Um, I, I, you know, there's so many wonderful scenes we've seen, and so, but for me, it's always going to be the Indianapolis scene uh, in Jaws, where <laughs> um, Quince, um, just that monologue about um, uh, fifteen hundred men went into the water. Just the the the, uh, the acting around them, around him. You know, the reactions of Brody. Um, uh, uh, it's and. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's just mesmerising. I I know it almost by heart that scene, um, and I just it's it's why Steven Spielberg is a, an amazing director because to, just to have that in the middle of an action one of the first like action movie, I just didn't need mm. it, and I think it it makes the film for me. Um, well, I, I mean, it, discussion it, about. it gives you some idea of why the character is in in, in some ways the, the the stereotype that he is. Yes, which is absent, I believe, from the novel. The 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 because he's basically Captain Ahab. Um, mm. But it's 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 given a nice motivation and, and really well played, and fantastically played by um, Robert Shaw, of course. Um, it's it's beautiful. I love it. Um, I could watch that on a loop on my desert island. I would get <laughs> bored eventually, but it would take me a while. <laughs> Um, okay. I I don't know. If we're going to dwell on worst scene. I, I don't know. If that's uh, really no, I don't think so particularly. I I don't have one that I could pick out above all the others. If I mean, I did, though, we're, we're, now we're I think about it. <laughs> okay, go on. Sorry. It would be the transformation scene in Mary Riley. Goodness me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> of, with with uh, one honourable exception, all the films we've uh, watched have been you know reasonably competently shot. Yes, and so on. So. And, and and I think where a director fails, for me at least, it's very often in the bigger things, and usually the DP gets to light the scene and shoot the scene. Yes. And that more or less works. Uh, I, I, do you know what? While we're talking, I've just thought of a scene. Where I, I, I think the scene which actually I find least pleasant, it was the one in Dagon, which which you adopt, and two of them tie. One would be the, the scene where his girlfriend is taken by the 
the thing in the pit, and the other is the uh, the slow skinning of the the mm. Zadok Allen character. Uh, but we won't dwell on um, worse scenes. I agree. Um, so uh, similarly, but not quite favourite performance in all the films. Well, yeah, I don't want to double up too much. I mean, I have mentioned a couple of my candidates for this already. Uh, Miranda Richardson in Dance with a Stranger. Yeah, I certainly not a sympathetic that. character, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good performance. Well, I think one of our keystones is is this person recognisably. Oh, that's Tom Cruise or whatever. Um, but he, you know, Miranda Richardson is is not quite unrecognisable, but very very different. How I knew her as Queenie, um, mm. as well as other films we've seen her. Uh, and I will also mention Frost's from Dormant in Fargo because it's just great. It, it, it's low, yes. it's low key and it works. But, uh, from a film we haven't talked about yet, um, Vincent D'Onofrio in, in Full Metal Jacket. Oh, yes, very good. As this guy going gradually psychotic. Yes. Uh, yes, um, that is a nice performance. Yes, I do like that. Yeah, and unbelievable the slow disintegration from him. Uh, yeah, very good. Good choice. Um, I have picked uh, Marge Gunderson, uh, Francis McDormand in mm-hmm. Fargo, uh, because I hadn't picked Fargo already. I mean, again, there's lots <laughs> of great performances. Uh, even in Fargo, you know, I nearly went for William H. Macy. Um, uh, mm. uh, uh, I forgot his name, but the, uh, as the slimy um, car salesman. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting choice, the full metal jacket one. Uh, right, we... Um, oh, uh, I'm going to briefly touch on least favourite performances. It's not actually John Malkovich and Mary Riley, um, <laughs> believe it or not, though at the time I was very clear about that. I think the one that actually ruined the film for me was Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. Just The film just doesn't work with mm. his interpretation of Colonel Kurtz. Needed not a better actor, but a different performance, I think. Um, it just, just spoiled the film for me because it, it didn't... You needed a charisma to pull that film together, and it's he, he, he went for a weird interpretation of it that really yeah. Me. To me, I think yeah, I, I will agree. It's a it's a rotten performance. I don't think it spoils what has gone before in the film, but that's because I see what has gone before in the film as effectively as a separate thing. It, it's yes, it will well, be I mean, it will be better if it led up to an actual solid climax. Well, that yeah, so, I am a victim of of letting it taint the whole film for me. Um, on, on the flip side, though, you know, we could talk about Robert Duvall's performance as Colonel Kilgore, which is could equally be one of the greatest performances mm. we've seen. Yeah. So, someday this war's going to end. Very good. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> now, where are we up to? Um, uh, a re-evaluation. A film changed most from how we thought of it before. I, I took that as either when we watched it the first time or when we watched it this time for Ribbon of Memes. Mm, yeah, for for me, this is something I had seen before, but got a very different feel on. Uh, yeah, okay. not not obviously. Um, just I hated it this time because we already talked about what I'd seen before and hated. But, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but the one that I I feel I saw in a very different light uh, was Unforgiven. Yes, that is a, that's my choice too. Exactly. Because you know, I I did watch this in the cinema uh, first run. Uh, when it, when I saw it then, my general feeling was, you know, it's a Western. Clint's done Westerns before and that now he's doing old guy Western. Yeah. And I don't think I really, um, built on it much beyond that. Well, Where, I, whereas this it, time we, we got the very different idea of, uh, the, yeah, 
the the attitudes to masculinity, the different shapes of how you can be a strong man or not. Yeah. Well, I think we were both left this time with a. Uh, the first time I saw it, I thought it was really interesting and really clever commentary on what the West was really like, um, and I really enjoyed it. This time, I think we both felt a bit uncomfortable about what it was actually saying at the end. That mm. you know, ultimately, you know, the the way you get through these problems is to be a man, and the way you are a man is to do manly things like kill everyone in the whole goddamn room. I I wonder how it would have worked if if that last scene had been replaced with you know he he goes in he confronts them and they just shoot the bastard. Yeah, which <laughs> probably, if they'd made it in the seventies, that <laughs> in the new way that might well have been. I. I don't, I probably would have hated it the first time and respected it much more the second. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. There we go. We have a, a an agreement. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's how I feel too. It's not so much how how I feel since we've watched it this time. Because I, I was looking over all the films and I, I don't know that my opinion has changed particularly on most of them. Um, uh, one of them, interestingly, that was underneath Unforgiven that I considered for a while was Raiders in the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark mm. in that I think this time, having dissected it a bit and seeing it, you know, really running on the the mind wheels as it seeks, and and really, you know, tick here's the action bit, tick here's the action bit, tick here's the action bit. Mm. Um, it made me respect it a little bit less. I mean, I should maybe I should respect it more because it is it's got this iconic central character and it's it's beautiful and it's thrilling. It, um, it's a film I will watch again and expect to yes. enjoy. Yes, uh, and, and same here. Yeah. Um, but I, I maybe respect it a little bit less just because it, it's one of those films that is starting to do things that I present, which is like, right, this is the bit you have to feel this, and this is the bit you have to feel this, and mm. the music is going to tell you when you have to do it. Um, it's like this that sort of film was being perfected around the time of Raiders by Spielberg, and I, I just started... Not, I mean, I still love it, and as you say, I still watch it again, but I just started to resent it perhaps slightly for that, which surprises me. Mm, I w- we'll come back to that, I think, if we uh, talk about cinematic trends. Yes, yeah. Uh, and the thing that I think you, you suggested, uh, to, to me this is quite separate from how much we enjoyed a film. It's basically yeah. just how, how much work it is to watch or how much it isn't. And particularly yes, exactly. since, I mean, we, we've both been watching these at home on various devices, and if we want to stop and pause and come back later, we can. yes. And some of the some of this is how much do we want to do that? I suppose my rough metric for this would be how often do I tap the screen and check how many minutes have passed since I did it, <laughs> and how closer I am to the end of the film. Uh, so there, there are two of these for me. Okay. Um, one being the dead. Uh, that certainly happened to me. I didn't have that on my list, but yes, I'm uh, not going to argue it, with it. It's not super long, but... No. Yeah. Uh, and the other one was Good Morning Vietnam, which... It, yeah, it, it's not on my least liked, but it did feel as if I was being dragged along and... Oh, how much more of this is there? Yeah, particularly when, uh, as we talked about, Robin Williams launches into his stick and neither of us particularly respond well to that. Uh, yeah, I think we were just waiting for those bits to end so we could get on with the plot. <laughs> I think that's, that's a fair point. Um, the, the thing I felt with, with both of these and, and some others that seem to be hard work is, well, I, I, as Tolkien put it, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter that's been scraped over too much bread. <laughs> yeah, the, the, there, there, there is so much content, the, the meat of the film, and it's yes. being spread out thinner and thinner to get into 
because we're doing this other stuff, whether, whether that's the, you know, the character shtick or the beautiful cinematography or whatever. Yes. Um, that, that's the thing that makes the film hard work for me, I think. Yes. Uh, for me, uh, I thought the hardest work was probably going to be Schindler's List when we were approaching it, but I did, I wouldn't say I found it an easy watch, but it, it is a well constructed and interesting film, and hmm. although it is uncomfortable and difficult, um, I didn't find it what I would call it. I certainly wasn't checking how many minutes had passed. Um, I fr- I'm afraid I am going to... I did think long and hard because I didn't want it to be the film I I most disliked as well, but it it is The English Patient for me. I, I just found it interminably long. Um, <laughs> and, and I agree it's a different thing, but but of them, I, I think it was the... the uh, the one that just... I was just constantly... And, and The Dead would be another one where I, we were just... Uh, yeah, uh, is this over yet? Are we going to watch this? I, I, I remember in the dead, a few minutes in, my girlfriend saying, are you going to watch the, the whole of this? Are they just going to be at the dinner party the whole time? And I, I think I texted you at that point. They said, do they leave the dinner party? And you said, oh, one of them goes off to a, a meeting about the, the new the new Irish Republic. Said, oh, brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then you said, I didn't say we went with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I agree, the dead was a difficult watch. And so, so the flip side of that, um, obvi- obviously, uh, for me, films that I already know well are easy to watch. And there, are some, yes. some of these films, and some, some of these I just know and they're, and they're part of my, um, film vocabulary anyway. Some of them yes. I know really well, like yes. Raiders, like Aliens, like Terminator yes. 2. And for those, yeah. I I know it well enough that I I may not quite be going along with the lines but there there are very few surprises to be had and yes. that that's very easy to go along with. Uh of, of the newer ones actually I put Shinder's list here. Yeah, I I think that's fair enough it's surprising. I think we commented. I I don't, we... I don't mean easy in terms of non-harrowing but easy in terms of I'm not getting bored I want to keep watching this. Yes, this doesn't feel like a two and a half hour film or mm. whatever. Yeah, I, I, I would go along with that. I, I thought Shinder's List would be on my hardest list, but I agree. It's, I, in a way, that is a surprisingly easy watch, um, or surprisingly frictionless. Or, I, I know exactly Give, what Given you mean. the subject matter, yeah. Yes, exactly. For me, the easiest watch would be Goodfellas. It just draws me in, and I mm-hmm. just, uh, the narration just, it just pulls me along. It's a fat, rapid pace. You like the cat. Interestingly enough, as an aside, I have started watching The Wolf of Wall Street, which is Scorsese, um, basically doing Goodfellas only with a Wall Street stockbroker played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. And I think I've realised there's a reason why some a lot of the film has never started before with as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a stockbroker. <laughs> because <laughs> in a way um, DiCaprio's character is uh, less honourable, much less pleasant. And although it's a comedy, I just don't want to spend any time with this bastard. And uh, it was reminded me how good a job Goodfellas does of, of just pulling you along with the charisma and the excitement of it all. Mm. And also... In a way that Raging Bull, for us at least, didn't. In a way that Raging Bull, in a way that The Wolf of Wall Street, for different reasons, doesn't. With Goodfellas, you do get the feeling you're not expected to like these people or agree with what they're doing, but just be a bit charmed by them, at least. And and I Mm. think that works. I have got a, a, a film which actually manages to fit into 
easy to watch and hardest work to watch simultaneously, <laughs> which be Full Metal Jacket, in that the first half of mm-hmm. it is incredibly easy to watch. The second half of it, I was bored, silly. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, I continue to feel uh, that Full Metal Jacket training sequence, which is what the first third or half of whatever it was, yeah. is brilliant. Yes. And then it's got this other war movie stuck on the back end of it. Yeah, exactly, yes. <laughs> which is that uh, some people say about Saving Private Ryan too, um, uh, which I probably agree with. But yes, uh, honourable mention of Full Metal Jacket for fitting in both <laughs> categories at once. And yeah, a, a thing you mentioned earlier, uh, I think possibly one of the characteristics of a masterpiece is that it sticks in your memory. Yes. Uh, and I think you know, so, something like Aliens, it's got some things to say, but most of it is happening in the now, and you're enjoying yes. it in the now. Something like Jaws, similarly. Yes. Um, and the, these are films we enjoy, uh, but they don't necessarily say a lot beyond what's what's up there immediately on the screen. Agreed. And they don't sort of come back to you? Uh, in, in Well, some of them do, but yes. That, that's... Whereas I, I have found myself thinking, much to my surprise, about Network. Interesting. Okay. Because it, it seemed very superficial at the time, and and it's not yeah. the what I think is meant to be the the main plot of boring old man screws young woman. It, it's <laughs> the way I keep seeing echoes of the corporate stuff, of the populist stuff in you know Max Headroom, cyberpunk RPGs, yeah, other stuff that's been influenced by that. Yes, it wasn't so much influential as. Um... Uh, 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 predictive of of the way <laughs> pop culture is going to go, and it, in its very early way of doing that, it was quite prescient. Um, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a fair point. Um, uh, for me, I suppose more memorable ones that sort of, I suppose, ride unbidden into my head uh, tend to be the more visually stimulating ones, like Paris, Texas. Mm. Um, uh, I, I find stayed with me a long time. The other one, surprisingly, was Local Hero, um, which I I probably enjoyed less at the time, but I, I the feeling of it was very pleasant, mm. and I do think of that that kind of uh, the kind of warmth it has, but not a saccharine warmth. Um, that stayed with me uh, longer probably than the film has the other one that may well stay with me though we only watched it very recently was Dark City again because it's visually very um, interesting mm. um, but I think of the three probably local hero for the sort of feelings of it and on the least memorable side um, okay there was a point when we were preparing for an episode where I knew I'd seen a Scorsese and De Niro film before and I couldn't remember oh right it was Raging Bull <laughs> oh, I wish it was my least memorable. Goodness me! Um, <laughs> and and yeah. I, it, it just beyond the the fairly trivial analysis we, we'd already done of it. It was just yeah, I don't think he's got anything more to say. Yeah, I, I think for me, probably uh, Good Morning Vietnam. I think just uh, I I don't know why it, it just slips out of my memory. I'm quite happy to do it. Uh, the only <laughs> memorable thing I find is it's Robin Williams' performance. Um, the one looking over the list that was like, well, I don't remember watching that uh, temporarily. Well, I'm afraid it was Dance with a Stranger. Maybe that's more because it was very different to the other films we'd watched. Um, uh, maybe because I just don't want to be in that sort of 50s aesthetic. But mm. yes, um, that's... Uh, 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 well, it's not a criticism so much as I, I, uh, I found it less memorable than some of the other stuff we've watched. Yeah. Unfairly so, because it is undeniably a better film than some of the other things we've watched. But not... 
Uh, and again, I I don't think there's a lot that you're going to notice, you know, three days later and think, oh, wow. Yes, I think that's it. It didn't really I, stay I, I'm not me. saying every film should have that. But, no. but it, it's one of the things that definitely, for me at least, not not only causes me to think of it later, but um, I think is at least loosely correlated with being a masterpiece. Yes, fair enough. Um, I suppose I'd like to finish on some films that we haven't mentioned, but I still very much enjoy. One of the ones which I thought might have been your biggest surprise uh, was Night of the Living Dead. I remember you being very mm. surprised at, at, at sort of enjoying it when it came out. And it I, I don't think I really had much of the way of expectation for that. Right, okay. Uh, uh, so, but yeah, I certainly, certainly did, did enjoy that. Uh, um, do, yeah. do the right thing. About yes, which I knew essentially nothing. No, other than I thought maybe um, uh, uh, maybe I wasn't the right person to comment on this film. But yeah, we both we both really enjoyed it and found it very interesting, and, and certainly one of the more intelligent uh, films we've watched. And and a, a really I don't know about sensitive portrayal of race, but a, a realistic and honest portrayal of race. I mm. think uh, in a way that we just haven't seen in a lot of the films we've watched. Yes. Um, the thing I have to mention because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but the other film, uh, funnily enough, that I I thought might be one of my favourites that we haven't talked about at all, really, The Big Lebowski. Um, I have slightly cooled on it watching it again, and I think Fargo's climbed up above it uh, for me uh, in my favourite Coens. I still love it, but I, it feels less consequential and a bit mischievously less consequential. But I, I still. I still mm. like it a lot. Yeah, and I think people were expecting it to be another Fargo and didn't like it because of that. So I've, I've been yes. trying not to be influenced by that. But even so, I don't love it as much as I, I really have come to love Fargo. Yeah, oh, well, that's uh, fair. We'll <laughs> take some success. I was going to add Network in at this, but you mentioned it right at the end. Um, network, um, yeah, I, I, I was I was almost going to put that in one of our most forgettable, but then... Uh, then I remembered, you know, the Mad Prophet of the Airways, and then I remember that incredible scene with Ned Beatty. Um, uh, it, it is a very good film. It's funny, it just didn't quite stick it to, maybe it's just because it was one of the first films we watched. Um, but I, but, uh, yeah, I, I, we haven't, in a way, if I have a mission statement for Ribbon of Memes, I'd like to watch more films like that. They're a bit out of our comfort zone, they're a bit mm. surprising. Um, but then you don't know until you've watched him, do you? <laughs> yeah, and we we are certainly not claiming that you know these are the best films of the year. They are they are the films we felt like watching. <laughs> yes, yeah, ones that people have said, and then we between us we've agreed. Um, yeah, let's watch that. I was going to suggest a, um, the one that got away category of ones that we might have watched that we didn't. Um, I mm. couldn't think of any off the top of my head. <laughs> um, but if you have any, um, now might be the time to mention it. Um, well, there, there are certainly films I, I would like to. Um, well, yeah, when, when we have finished the chronological, you know, come back and say, here are some other things. I mean, sh shall we move slightly into trends and things yes. we observe? Because, um, I was, I was a big fan of grunty eighties action yeah. when, when that <laughs> yes. was a thing. During the eighties, yes. Yeah. And, and then that just got shot in the head by Die Hard of here is a relatable guy, not, not a beefcake who is still doing the grunty action stuff. And all of a sudden, that was what everybody wanted. That that when everyone wanted, then yes. Well, 
yes, that was a quite a noticeable change in, in what films changed. It. I, I suppose if we start then right back at the beginning of, of where we started in the middle of the American New Wave, the mm. films that, that killed that or that shot them in the head, if you like, were films like Jaws um, and Raiders, which basically showed that you could, uh, particularly Jaws, you could you could make a ton of money out of films, and and um, and people would still like them and think of them critically acclaimed. Um, yeah, I, th- I think some of that is films getting more expensive. Yes, uh, as you say, Close Encounters cost an awful lot of money, and Spielberg basically got to decide where all where all the money went and ask for more if he wanted it. Yes, after yes, and that then he could kind of do what he likes after. Um, but but you know, there's more money involved. The studios want more control. There are incidents like Apocalypse Now. And I suppose we we haven't. This would also the thing that changed it for the new age would be films that we haven't watched because they're not masterpieces. Like uh, is it Heaven's Gate, the Michael uh, mm, Cinema yeah. film, which pretty much bankrupted one of the studios. I forget which. Um, uh, and made people realise, you know, we have got to put some kind of a rein on these uh, directors. They can't be auteurs all the time. And the other thing which we mentioned in passing, um, the Twilight Zone helicopter incident. Oh, goodness, yes. Uh, was that mid-80s? Uh, yeah, 82. So John Landis is making one of the segments of the Twilight Zone movie, and technically and legally he is not to blame uh, for the uh, pyro that went off under the tail, snapped the tail off, Helicopter crashed. Um, On top of Vic Morrow and two uh, American Vietnamese Georgia, extras. Yeah. Oh goodness. Yes. Uh, yeah. That. That. And the fact, the fact that many people heard him sh- shouting lower, lower to the pilot is absolutely not to indicate that he is to blame. Uh, because this is <laughs> something that will be broadcast. Um, yeah, so all of those things took, start to take the power away from directors and give them back to the studios. I, and, uh, I suppose this is coming out of the... Yes, the, it, so, so it's not it's not the same shape as the old studio system where, you know, X star is under contract to Y studio yeah. and they don't get to make films for anybody else. Yes. But you, uh, but you definitely start to get a bit of the okay. You you may be one of one of our higher players that you're you're only working with us for this film, but we want to say in how the film gets made, even so. Yes, and it was interesting. I mean, from our watch, you could see the transition, uh, particularly after Spielberg's films. To you know, the early eighties when we did our top ten list, they were all science fiction. Um, uh, often children involved, um, sparkly, you know, short circuits and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, for, the, for a well, brief. Flight of the years, Navigator. Flight of the Navigator. That, that kind of thing. Yes, all that stuff. Starman, which I know doesn't have children involved then, but it, it's all that kind of cinema of wonder and wonder of, uh, particularly the extraterrestrial or the, Beyond Earth, or it's kind of fairy tale stuff, mm. and then as you say, in, in the eighties, then it's uh, in the mid eighties, we start to get films like I guess. Uh, well, this is when Arnold started um, showing up with uh, Commando and Predator and The Terminator, and we start to get um, big action hero films with steroidal guys like Van Damme. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've, uh, I've quite enjoyed several of Van Damme's performances, but I would not, and I suspect he would not call him a good actor. <laughs> no, no, he's he's got some charisma. He's not, perhaps not as charismatic as as uh, well either Stallone or Schwarzenegger, who were the. I mean, they were the staples. So they, um, the the guys who looked tough and were. I was interesting though. Stallone's uh, Rocky and First Blood are not really typical um, 
mm. action hero film. First Blood is a is a supposedly about you know what Vietnam does to people and uh, uh, you yeah. Know, well, whereas Rambo two and three were yeah, yeah get, exactly. get, get a good blow up some bad guys, <laughs> cover your torso in butter and carry a rocket launcher, <laughs> um, and that's where it seemed to go for a while in the eighties, as you say. Um, I, I'd, we both enjoyed those kind of films. I, I suppose Terminator two, one of our films, was sort of in that category, but it was also in the science fiction heyday of because after Blade Runner, we start to get darker. And Alien, and mm. we start to get as well as the cinema of wonder. We got the cinema, the dystopian cinema. Um, but that did you're right. Die Hard and around that kind. That was Die Hard eighty nine. I think really started to change the shape of eighty eight. Uh, yeah, eighty eight. Um, the, the shape of well, the action hero. But just, I mean, for a long time after that, things were like Die Hard on a bus, Die Hard on a boat. Um, <laughs> uh, a Die Hard at an airport, which is Die Hard 2, but uh, <laughs> um, at the time the Die Hard franchise got bad is when they stopped doing that, um, of course. <laughs> and interestingly, we had John McClane transition from that different hero basically into the original steroidal, um, unkillable action heroes of the early 80s. Well, I mean, that part, part of the um, subtlety of Die Hard is that yeah, you you see him bleed, you see him wince in pain, but he still gets to do the stuff. Yes, yeah, it's just uh, it's not any more realistic than them, but it was done in a bit. Also, has one of the greatest cinematic villains ever. Put well, to yes. Side, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, one of the things I I don't know what it was like when you were watching films as a kid. Uh, for me, it was very much you know, this, this is what what there is, and there may be some rumours around, but I didn't get to hear much about the process of production and things of that sort. And there were oh, film no. magazines, but not, not, a, not a lot of people bought them. And the thing I've really noticed this time is the progress of what you might call the Spielberg and Lucas conglomerate from, you know, in the late 60s, they, they are the bad boys of filmmaking. They are the people who want to make Apocalypse Now in Vietnam while the war is going on. Yes, as a comedy. Um, and, yes. and, and then they go into... Um, you know, the, your early Spielberg films, things like The Duel. Yeah. Uh, and Jaws. And then, you know, we've got Raiders. And at Raiders, they've, they've worked had, out um, we've got all the money THX. now. Lucas did THX 1138, yeah. which is it's basically a 1984 style um, dystopian future. It's very good. In, in that general. Well. Yeah. And yeah. Um, they, they are definitely arty guys to start with, and then they, they realize, hang on a minute, we've made an awful lot of money. Here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think we can see a similar progress. I mean, we are probably not going to come back to James Cameron post Titanic, because at that point he's realized he can make all the money by, yeah. you know, using, using the same techniques. Aliens is, uh, Terminator, both of them are, explicitly manipulating your emotions as a viewer in a way that he's very good at. Yeah. And to me, they succeed because they are, they are interesting as well as that. You know, you've, you've got yeah. the, the uh, technical plots, you've got the characterizations and so on. And for me, Titanic fails because it, it, it is all string pulling. It is, and it, I suppose he, he, he almost leaned into the, um, there was an always, there was always sort of an emotional core to his films and a character you know in in 
uh, aliens, you know, we have the Newt um, uh, Ripley relationship, which is very much um, uh, Ripley as a mother. And in Terminator, we've got the love story at the centre of it. Um, and again, in Terminator 2, we have kind of the father figure. Um, but he really leans into the kind of emotion and, and uh, to the point of saccharin um, in both uh, Titanic and uh, Avatar, which I need to. I wonder how they. I, again, I suppose you don't care, but it, it, it's. Uh, I suppose you don't <laughs> care when you made that much money. But I wonder how they feel artistically about. And by they, I mean you know how Lucas felt about the Star Wars prequels, which are you know measurably much worse film <laughs> um, for someone who has complete creative control, but is surrounded by people saying yes to everything he asks for. Um, I don't know how much. And well, the, the, it... the famous Harrison Ford quote, you can write this shit, George, but you sure can't say it. <laughs> well, I mean, the fact that you can say it, techno babble can be done well, um, possibly not by Harrison Ford, to be fair. Um, but it's just, just it, the acting is so stilted in the, and I don't, I don't blame the actors in that particularly because they all, you know, a, a lot of the actors in that give much better performances in other films. Yes, just... but I mean, let, let us not forget that in, in 1976, 77, Harrison Ford was a struggling young actor um, <laughs> yes and so was oh, what's the guy's name uh the guy who becomes the darth what david prowse in in the uh, in the prequels i've, I've oh, uh, literally oh, forgotten oh, the actor's name yes uh hayden christensen that one <laughs> yeah uh, and you know here here is similarly a struggling young actor he's just not as good <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that's probably fair um I think Star Wars lost me when they just made the same films again, but not as good. At least the prequels were something different. Anyway, that's uh, by the way. The one that didn't really fall into that trap, if it is a trap, or still makes films, I suppose in theory I would still watch, but I can't remember the last Spielberg film I watched, would be Spielberg, because he, he did branch out and make and try mm. to to stretch himself. And I think... I, I, the... I think Schindler's List is a big part of that. He, he's he's saying, you know, I've, I've had these... I've, I've tried going in a slightly different crowd-pleasing direction and maybe it hasn't gone quite as well as the the, the pushing stuff for the kids. Okay, yeah. let, let's let's try a bigger change. He's, he's got yeah. the guts to say that rather than just going back to the giddy stuff, which is nice. Yeah. And, we, you know, we both had some issues with Schindler's List. It's by far not a perfect film and has some problems, but it's it's still a very good and very well-made film considering the subject matter uh yeah and then, i suppose from there in, in the the mid what we started i mean the trends for me were interesting when we were looking at the box office because then we sort of started to hit the early 90s and i just struggling that the the lists were full of basically buddy cop comedies and sequels of buddy cop comedies mm. or other films that I wasn't interested in. Um, we have skipped over the kind of the John Hughes, um, the, the other. Uh, yeah, that that was the other one I was going to mention, which which we've kind of touched on in that. You know, you, you've got the Rorty Teen comedy. Yes, and then uh, like, and, a la Porky's. Yeah, and then that that had effects on Back to the Future, as, as we talked about in, in that episode. Yes, and then, then I think out of that you get the John Hughes teen comedies. Yes, and that, that was and, you know, something... Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which was certainly one that, that I thought about doing for this. Oh, we, yeah. we may all come back to it at some point. Yes, I, I think it never quite spoke to us as British 
teens, even though we were the right sort of age, or I was probably slightly younger, you're maybe slightly older, but uh, it didn't quite do it because the whole American school system just seems like a bit of a fantasy world to us. <laughs> um, so it was, but uh, that and, it didn't and quite... from from that, of course, you then move on to Gross Point Blank, which I think grows out of those. Well, the other one that I, I felt was influenced by that, or uh, Diner feels like the slightly grown-up version of that as well, though. Diner was coming about about the same time. One of the ones we didn't mention in our in our Yeah, well, that, that's 82, so... Yeah, okay, so that doesn't... But it, it, Diner was the same sort of film. Uh, well, it was it was a bunch of man-children, wasn't it, really? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> that, that was the feeling I got, at least. I mean, I, I'm... Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the fact that we didn't mention it at all. Maybe that was the most forgettable. I've <laughs> glossed over that completely. Um, yeah, but Paul Reiser, man. So yeah, then we uh, we've gone through that period, and we we move into this. Uh, for me, a real cinematic dearth of stuff. Uh, and I, I think we... this is the rise of the sequels, as you said, the keywording, the focus grouping, the cinema score stuff. Yeah. Where, you know, we, we want to know, we want to know this is a hit before we commit the money to it. And this was a period when Last Action Hero came out, um, which was something different and something interesting. Um, we both really liked it. Uh, you, uh, adore it, I think it's fair to say. I really like it and respect it. But it absolutely tanked when it was trying to do something different. Um, and so that probably just reinforced, uh, more sequels, more buddy comedies. Mm. Um, and then we get Independence Day flipping heck. Which is, uh, Independence I, Day and Armageddon, and between yeah. the two of them, yeah, as, as I say, after that point, block, summer blockbuster is now a genre in a way that it sort of was before then, but afterwards it is definitely right. There is now a slot that we are competing to win. Yeah, and as, as special level. effects got bigger and blow up here, and even when films weren't sequels, they all had to sort of one up each other. Um, I, it got to a ridiculous pitch where I, I think they had to segue somewhere, and the way we seem to have moved on from that is into superhero films, endless superhero films, mm. which are all very well made and very interesting. But I don't know, there's only so many films I can watch about a Batman. I just He's not that interesting a character to deserve that many films. Um, yeah, I mean, on, on the one hand, I, th- I think part, partly as a result of that, they're, they're definitely spreading out. And yes. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of um, films for characters yeah, titled by characters I've never heard of, <laughs> um, yeah, which, on the one hand, great because you know I, I do feel the story of Batman has been told yeah. several, several times, and then yeah. some more. And my, my canonical Batman is the '60s TV series, but <laughs> exactly. you know, mine would be um, uh, uh, the Dark Knight Returns. Um, but yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, um, but on the other hand, if if I say you know, um, trying trying to remember some names here, uh, Shan Chi, or if I say Black Adam, or if I say Morbius, these are names yes. I've never heard of. And is a general cinema audience that isn't particularly superhero fans, though you know they've gone and seen Iron Man and all the rest of them, are they going? Is that going to work for them? I don't know. Let's find out. It'd be interesting. I mean, these are films that regularly top a billion. Um, you know, uh, in uh, and some of them are brilliant. I, I genuinely think uh, again the uh, the the it's it's interesting to have this cinematic universe which really does hold together and and the kind of the conclusion of it with the Infinity War um, was really very good. And I do think the Infinity War um, and Avengers Endgame 
really, really good films with really interesting characters, well, very well played. But uh, there's only so many superhero films I can watch at this point, and I, mm. I just I'm not. There comes a point where I'm starting. You get put, and I wonder if this will become a problem. You get put off. A bit like, you know, when you're starting to pick up a Marvel comic for the first time and you just, the the weight of continuity behind it is so much that you just don't know where to jump in. And <laughs> I don't know what, what level that will happen to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I won't be horrified if it all collapses, though. I mean, it, it's brought some good films. Um, I'll be happy. A, a lot of money has now, been but... made at this point. So Yeah, they've made enough money. They can They can calm down a bit now. I'm, I'm, I'm amused because just a couple of days ago we were recording a segment for a different podcast on the board game Sentinels of the Multiverse. <laughs> and, and similarly, you know, you, one of the advantages it has over the Marvel champions is that you don't have all this background material that you feel you have to understand. Yes, at least if it you're touches me. on it and <laughs> pretends it's there, uh, but you don't need it. Yes, exactly. I agree. I, the, I suppose the other thing that has risen in recent years, um, to, become a real competitor to film uh, you know films had a lot of uh, particularly cinema has had a lot of difficult times over the years um, but would be the rise again of television and particularly kind of episodic television where people can tell a story where mm. over 12 hours where you know a, a while, while at the same time not it, going but... to the amazing salary and cost levels of film Exactly. So, so, so you get less of the um, the money men saying, "Yeah, yeah, can we put in your cute kid?" Uh, yes, yeah, and, and people can into. Now, I think something is lost there a bit, and there's a lot to be said for a well edited short story. You know, mm. uh, and uh, uh, though the television can also explore character in a way that film can't i think you can really see the development and plots of character in a way that you know even in a four-hour film there's only so much you can do um again i I think we both have similar opinions on character development in that i don't know that might be the narrative convention that everyone ends the film a bit different to where they started but that's not in any way honest or true to life in my general experience (laughs) so i don't know why it has to be part of every narrative the Um, the other thing i think worth considering in competition is computer games i have largely dropped out of you know top line computer gaming but the impression i get is that you know you you have a game with a story and people talk about the number of hours of play you get out of it and that's not because you know it's not necessarily because you solved all the puzzles it's it's also you you know this plot is complete yes i must say i've never quite understood the uh this 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 game is uh, 38 hours long it's amazing i don't i want a game to be three hours long and i want it to be done whenever (laughs) but that i i think that's more my generation um but it's interesting yes i i think games uh yeah games and tv are are heavy competitors to film now i I don't know quite how to be fair tv was a competitor to film in the 70s Yes, um, I mean, cinema's yeah. always had to respond to these kind of problems. It'd be interesting to see how it responds again. And uh, finally, I think, um, we've been doing this for a year. How How is it changing us? How is it changing our appreciation of film? Mm, good question. Well, I, I think I touched on this sort of in the opening when I when I said, you know, the more films you watch, the more your tastes change, and the more you want something a bit different from from the average and I think I would have 
I would appreciate a film that breaks away from the normal narrative. Or I suppose I say that, and when, there may be one a film when a film does it. I, I don't, maybe I don't appreciate <laughs> it that much. Like The Dead wasn't very um, traditional narrative. Can't say I thought a great deal of it though. I well, I want I went into this wanting to see films that I. Uh, that I was missing out, wanting to see if I was missing out on something. I have to say, a lot of the new films we've watched, in a way it's reassuring to me, because I, I haven't enjoyed them, or, on deep exploration, found them particularly more worthy, uh, with more better made, or better performances, or with more to say, than some of the films I loved already. Um, hmm. So it hasn't sort of changed my opinion of, oh god, I'm missing out on, on films. But I, I have very much enjoyed the nice surprises we've had along the way. Yeah. Um, and I'd still keen to keep trying. And I, I would like to try and go out of my comfort zone a bit more in the next uh, year or however long we do Ribbon of Themes. Yeah, I, I'm, I am primarily a reader in terms of our fiction consumption. Yeah. So as, as my feeling is that I'm, I'm basically there for the characters and to a lesser extent, the the story, the plot. Mm. And while you can, obviously can have lyrical descriptions in a book, um, Mary Stewart did, did it superbly and John Buchan, um, mm. mostly it's not a thing that you read a book for. Uh, wh- whereas yes. the beautiful atmosphere of a film is clearly a thing that at least some viewers, not always me, uh, regard as sufficient. Yes. Uh, and that, that's a, th- a thing I really wasn't appreciating coming into this. Well, I think, you know, it's fair to say Paris, Texas has a beauty all of its own, even though ultimately we didn't particularly get on with the central character or we found the plot uncomfortable, but it's still got a, 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 just the way it was made. Uh, and for, for that matter, it... I mean, you, you could, you could make Thelma and Louise as a radio play. Yes. Uh, but without the scenery, without, without that look the way it does look, yeah. I think it would be, it would work a lot less well. Yes, there's an immediacy in a shorthand to film, um, that gives it, on the, on the one hand, makes it much quicker, on the other hand, can make it a shallower medium, I think, and I, I, I as a reading. Well, I, I think there's an easy option, and yes, some, yeah. and sometimes you just take the easy option and say, eh, done with that. And so, sometimes you can do the thing and then get layer something else on top of it. It was interesting. Well, you know, we talked about the dead perhaps a bit more than I was expecting, <laughs> but that was an interesting one in the sense that it was, uh, you know, this was John Huston, who's one of our favourite filmmakers, um, and it's a well, very well constructed film. But when it comes to trying and tell you the inner character of someone. It has no, even someone as experienced as John Huston, dying though he was when he made it, he has no recourse other than to just do a voiceover at the end. There just mm. didn't seem to be any other way to show it. And I feel that shows up the strengths of a book that you just can't do in a film. You can't really show the inner um, life of someone very well in a film. Um, but film has a lot of strengths over books. Uh, yeah, it's got this visual shorthand and it can suggest and and um, be more subtle, perhaps, than a book can be, or at least find it easier to suggest with imagery, where I think it's sometimes a bit harder to be more as subtle as that. Uh, no question that some authors can do it, but I think maybe it's a bit harder to do that in literary form. 
Yeah, and so, several of these films uh, have been adaptations of books or have started their lives as that. I, oh, I yeah, don't. <laughs> I, I don't think there is any case where I really like the book and really like the film. No, I, I can't offhand think of one at any rate. No, there's some where the film is. Uh, the, the, the ones where the films are better than the book tend to be notable exceptions. Jaws being the one that springs to mind because the book's uh, frankly not as good as the film. Mm. Um, but, it, well, but it was definitely instructional to read it and see where Spielberg was starting from and what, what he what he changed. Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, he did pretty well. <laughs> it's, a, it's not a terrible book, but it's it's not a masterpiece. I think it's it, it's of its time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, well, there we are. That is uh, that's the end of a year of ribbon of memes. Um, mm. We we will be continuing. In fact, we've already selected um, and partly watched our our film for. Is it our first film of nineteen ninety nine? It is. It is. Yeah. So we shall return. Uh, to talk about that in the near future. Uh, we should have said that at the end, Ribbon of Memes will return. Mm-hmm.